0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Trinity Church in Carrieville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So about a year after Vicki and I had been married, we decided to go to her grandmother's house for Thanksgiving. My grandmother had died a few months previously. Vicki calls or called her grandmother by her first name, Maxine. It was a special privilege when she told me one day, stop calling me by my last name. I'm Maxine. Maxine was a, a special person. She could cook like you cannot possibly imagine. Whatever you see in Southern Living... Maxine could do, and she didn't need a recipe. And when I would go there to visit, she would whip up me the most marvelous and unbelievable breakfast that you can imagine. I am not a morning person. I think some of you know this. But when I would go to Maxine's house, when I would go to the farmhouse out in the country, I would get up early because I knew the special feast that would be waiting for me. And so we were there the first Thanksgiving after we had been married, and I got up early. And as I made my way out of the bedroom, I could smell the cacophony of wonderful, blissful ingredients. And I went and I sat down at the table, and I kid you not, it was country ham and biscuits, and pancakes, and waffles. I'm not sure why you need both pancakes and waffles, but she cooked both pancakes and waffles. Fresh squeezed orange juice, a Danish, and bacon that just would make you go outside and shout. And I sit down to this banquet, to this buffet, and I am... Pleased, I'm excited, I'm grateful, and I'm thankful. And Maxine was a very small woman. She didn't eat very much. And she sat down beside me with her coffee, which was, I often wondered if it was motor oil. And as I'm eating this breakfast, she's aware of the fact that my beloved grandmother has died. And she reaches over to me. And she puts her hand on my hand as I'm taking a bite of these glorious pancakes. And she said, I'm so grateful that I have a second grandson. And that's all she said. And I knew at that moment that her favor and that her love was resting upon me Welcome to the family. And so as we come to Ruth chapter 2 today, we see Ruth talk about the favor that Boaz is placing upon her and as an extension, Naomi. And as we take a step back from this narrative and we think about the book as a whole, and I've told you the last two weeks, the main character is not Ruth, it is not Naomi, it is not Boaz, that the main character is our covenant Lord, it is God. And so as we look at this book, as we see favor extended, it should remind us in Ruth chapter 2 of the favor that the Lord has placed upon us. As He says, welcome to the family. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank You for Your Word, which is always, always true. Never fails us. Open our eyes so that we may see today. Let Your Word sink into the deepest recesses of our soul and change us. Help us to be aware of Your loving kindness and our sinfulness and our need for You as we walk through this story of Ruth. Father, forgive the one who speaks, for my sins are great. Set me aside as you speak this morning. Amen. So there are a few things that I want to bring to your attention as we wrestle with this passage. First of all, notice in verse 1 it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz, the author here, has clearly taken an advanced post-college class on writing because he is, at the very beginning, giving us an appetizer, a heads-up, some insight into what's coming in the rest of the passage. He does a fantastic job in laying this out again, as I mentioned the last two weeks. We're not sure who wrote this but we know that it is an apologetic for the reign and rule of King David because Ruth, who is not an Israelite, is one of his descendants. Verse 3, we see that she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, In the Hebrew, it's chance upon chance. So here's the author being a great writer once again. He's winking at us. And he's saying, Ruth goes out into the fields. They have a destitute situation. They're in great need. And lo and behold, of all the fields that surround Bethlehem, she ends up in whose field? Boaz. Boaz. Remember verse 1. And so the author of Ruth is reminding us of God's providence and what God is doing in the life of Ruth and how He has called her from the outside in and has brought her to this place and is providing her because she believes in the covenant Lord of her husband who has passed away and his family. Verse 4. Boaz comes from Bethlehem, he comes to his fields, he wants to see what's going on, he wants to see what hap- is happening, and he says to those men that work for him, and this is significant, the Lord be with you. And they responded, the Lord bless you. This is a reference to the Aaronic blessing in number 6. Now remember, when Elimelech and his family decided to leave Israel, things were rough, Things were bad. There was famine in the land. And under the Mosaic Covenant, that means that the people have turned from the Lord and they are suffering the consequences. Well, now things have changed. And there is a bountiful harvest in the land. There is rain. There is no more famine. And Naomi decides to return. And so... The author is giving us two clues. Number one, Boaz is a man of God. He walks into the field, he sees his workers, and he he blesses them with the Word of God. The Lord be with you. The God that I believe in, the God that I trust in, the God who is covenantly faithful, may He be with you. That's the first clue. The second clue is that things have changed in Israel. That there is perhaps revival among the people. They have seen their ways and they have returned to the Lord. Remember, this was in the time of the judges and this happened quite often during that period. Verse 20, towards the end of the chapter. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness is not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. These are two things. Isn't this interesting? Woe is me, the Lord is departed, the Lord is... Punishing me. The Lord has not been good to me. I am returning to Israel because I hear that the famine might be over, but I'm oppressed. When she is greeted by the women in Bethlehem, Naomi talks about how she is discouraged by what the Lord has done to her. They're in a destitute situation. Instead of going to the fields with Ruth, she just stays behind. The picture that the writer is painting of Naomi is that this is someone who does not understand her covenant Lord that she claims to believe in. Ruth, on the other hand, understands, even as a foreigner, who God is. Boy, hasn't her tone changed. Ruth comes back with this abundance of food. More than a day's worth of food. And all of a sudden, she's talking about the Lord and the blessings of the Lord. And then secondly, you'll notice that she says, this close relative of ours is one of our redeemers. This is a reference to the law of Moses, and I'll bring this up in just a moment, but how God provided for His people. She is reflecting on the fact that there is someone in their family line who can help restore them. And then 23, I talked about the beauty of the author's writing in verse 1. Look at it again in verse 23. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. It's almost as if he's winking to us something's going to happen where she will no longer have to live with Naomi. Hold on for the rest of the story. So those are some points that I wanted to bring to your attention to help you better understand chapter 2. There are three things that I want us to examine this morning or understand and they are blessing, favor, And satisfaction. Blessing, favor, and satisfaction. Number one. We know, according to the Word of God, that in Leviticus 4 and Deuteronomy 24, under the Mosaic covenant, provisions were made for the poor. They were supposed to, farmers, leave the edges of their fields untouched so that people in need, people who are hurting, would have access to the food. As they harvested their crops, they were to leave behind food for those in need to come along and to help themselves. God is saying to the nation of Israel, I was merciful and I was gracious to you in the wilderness. I've been merciful and gracious to you in the land of promise. I am a merciful and gracious God. You, in turn, should be merciful and gracious to those who are around you who are hurting and in need. And as Boaz makes his way onto the stage, we see someone who is kind hearted, who is concerned for others, who wants to help the poor and the destitute. And who does this remind us of? If you'll remember our study from the book of Psalms, excuse me, from the Psalms, I told you that Jesus mentions in the New Testament that you cannot understand the Old Testament fully unless you know who He is and what He has come to do, that He is the Son of Man and the Son of God, and that he, His presence means the inauguration of the kingdom of God. And so when we come to Ruth chapter 2 and we see Boaz and his concern for Ruth, we immediately should begin to think about Jesus. That He has come for those that are poor and for those that are sick, and for widows, and for orphans. As we make our way through the Gospels, we see a Savior who is concerned about those who are hurting. That this is an important and significant thing to Him that He is mentioning and highlighting to His disciples time and time again. The ministry of Jesus, which is all about the kingdom, is a reminder that there is suffering in this world and that one day in the kingdom there will no longer be suffering. And so in the meantime, our hearts should go out to those who are in need. So this week, Reed and I had the privilege to go hear from the bishop of the African Inland Church in Tanzania. And they have a ministry that we support. The African Inland Church is an evangelical church in Africa that does wonderful things. And their ministry, Transforming Tanzania, we are behind. And so one of the things that they do is that they go to where there are churches in their denomination around Tanzania and they build water wells. And the water wells are located at the church. What fitting imagery. And these wells provide clean water. And what happens over time, as this bishop was telling us, is that these communities are radically changed. They have clean water, so now they can have a medical clinic. They have clean water, so now they can have an elementary school and a high school. They can have education. They have clean water, so people in the community can start businesses. And they can provide for themselves. They have clean water, so that their families can have proper nutrition And that they're cooking and that their food is safe. This this well transforms entire villages, and the pastors of the churches are enabled to minister to people as they come to their church to get water clean, safe water. And this is something that, that we're a part of, that we want to help those that are in need. And so it makes me think about Proverbs 19.17. It says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And Acts 20.35, the Apostle Paul says, And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So when we see Boaz and we are reminded that he is a reflection of who Jesus is, that Jesus has a concern for the hurting, that Jesus has a concern for the poor, we should not only understand the significance and the importance of this as a church. And what will that look like over the years? How will we help those in need three years from now and five years from now And 10 years from now, we're just simply in the beginning of this. What is that going to look like? And how important it is. But also individually, what am I doing in the name of Christ to make a difference in the lives of people who are hurting, people who are poor? This is a major thing to our Lord. And often in my own life, it's something that I don't think about enough. And sometimes the way that I will address it is, I'll write a check. Or give some money. But I think if you look at Ruth, and in particular if you look at Boaz, and you think about Jesus, what Scripture is telling us is, We are called as believers, as Christians, to step into the lives of others and to say, brother, sister, I am here for you. How can I help you? Yeah, it's inconvenient to our schedule. It's inconvenient to our busy lives. But it's part of what it means to follow after Christ. And so we should pray, Lord, give me opportunities. Bring people to my path that I can help. Not only that, but then we call on the Holy Spirit to help us to have the strength amidst our busy lives and amidst our busy schedules as we work and as we have families to help others. Not only give me the opportunity but give me the strength. Heart for the hurting. It just jumped off the page because that's what Jesus is all about. And that's what we should be all about collectively and individually. Secondly, favor. Verse 13, Then she, Ruth, said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth is comforted because she knows that she has right standing in the eyes of Boaz that Naomi later calls a redeemer in our family. Now it does not take a scholar or a theologian or a simple pastor to make that the connection. You see it. That the Lord God has sent His Son to us as outsiders to place His favor upon us. Remember, Ruth is a Moabite. She is a pagan. She is a curse to the nation of Israel. And she comes from the outside in. And Boaz stands ready to bless her because he knows what she has done and he knows her heart. And when we take a step back, we see the Lord God sending His Son, the ultimate insider, to save and redeem Those who are on the outside, pagans who have rebelled against Him, who have sinned, who want nothing to do with Him, who don't care about Him, who are not interested in Him. We are dead in our sins, completely, 100% dead. And the Lord places His favor upon us, not because what we have done, not because we have pursued Him, not because we have sought Him, but because Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus earns the blessings and He gives them to us. Jesus takes the punishment that belongs to us. And so when you come to Ruth chapter 2, Jesus just simply jumps off the, fa- off the page. We receive God's favor because of Him. And so what is the result of that? Well, Ruth says it. Comfort. Now it brings many things to our doorstep. But one of the things that it does for me and my soul is it brings me comfort. Because I no longer believe that my salvation is up to me. There was a time in my life when I thought I was okay, that I was pretty good, and I worked so hard to earn The Lord's pleasure. If I just do this and I do that and I do this and I'm faithful in this, maybe God won't be angry with me. Maybe He will accept me. Maybe He will love me. And at one point in my life, when I least expected it, He grinded all of that to dust. And he told me, Hunter, you are dead in your sins. You have not been faithful. You cannot save yourself. There's not one single thing that you can do to make yourself holy nor acceptable in my sight. You are apart from me. But I love you. And I have pursued you. And I sent my Son for you. And He gave His life for you. And welcome to the family. And not only was it free, but it was comforting. It was comforting. It was no longer my responsibility that it was all Jesus all day long. And in the troubles of life and in the difficulties of life, Amidst the hurt and the pain, the travails, the comfort that I have is the favor that the Lord has shown someone who doesn't deserve it. May that be true of all of us. And then thirdly, satisfaction. Avery has a Rolling Stones t-shirt. I'm not overly sure that she knows who the Rolling Stones are. I think it's funny every time I see her wear it. But I think she probably does know, and we all know, this song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. We come to verse 14, and we see someone being satisfied. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. She came to Boaz's table and because of his generosity and his kindness, she was satisfied. She was full. She was blessed. And again, it doesn't take a scholar, it doesn't take a professor or a pastor for you to see the connection. In fact, we put it in front of you today. The Lord's table. He is saying, come and be satisfied. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hunter, that cup of wine or juice, is really small. And that gluten-free cracker, not overly filling. In fact, it doesn't really taste that good. What the Lord is communicating through this table is that this is the body and the blood of Jesus. And that it's an appetizer or a foretaste of that will will take place for all eternity in His presence. Where we dine at the banquet table of our Savior. Think about the significance and importance of that. You are invited to that meal. And so as you come to this table this morning and you partake of it, It is a celebration. We are not attending a funeral. We remember His death, but we remember He is alive. And that He is saying to us, if you believe in Me, if you have given your life to Me, we will do this forever. And let that be an encouragement to you. Let us pray. Our Father in God, as we come to this table this morning, may we find satisfaction. May we be full of your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you so much for placing your favor upon your people. And it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.